Acts chapter 17. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series, and, and that sermon series is entitled uh, Unknown God. Now, the reason we're doing that is because today we recognize that in our culture and in our lives, we are in a situation where we are constantly distracted. Every single person in this room, every single person on the face of the earth is constantly being barraged, being attacked, uh, being challenged with so many different ideas and so many different thoughts and so many different things and so many different directions that we are told to go challenged to go, tempted in going, that constantly we we have all of these things that are battling for our attention. And what we allow to happen in our lives is that we get so distracted, that we get so confused as to what really is important and what really matters, that we get to the place that we lose sight of who God is. And this is not a new story. This story is something that's been around from the beginning of time, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And you know when God created the garden, He created it to be what? Perfect, right? I mean, God created this amazing place. And in that place, He created everything that was good, all the plants, all of the animals, all the things that were there. I mean, it was just the perfect picture of what God designed and desired for us as human beings. God wanted us to experience incredible things. And so in the midst of that garden, you know the story, there was one tree. And God had one rule, one rule. Can you imagine like living life with only one rule? Like just one. And so they were told, Adam and Eve were said, listen, everything here is for you. Everything here for your pleasure. Everything here is for you to enjoy. But yet that one tree over there, listen, stay away from that tree. Because that tree, I don't want you to go near it. I don't want you to touch it. And of course, you know the story. It's like not rocket science here. We know what happened, right? So Adam and Eve, they're tempted. They're distracted. Like all the other good things that were in the garden, all of a sudden, everything in the garden became less important than that one tree because they had to have it. Now, here's the thing that you've got to understand. God created that tree, am I right? God created the fruit on that tree. And God created it, and it was perfect. It was God's perfect plan. Listen, everything in the garden was perfect, right? Before the original sin, before disobedience, which was the original sin, disobedience to God, before that happened, everything that was in the garden was good. So here's the thing you got to understand. God created that tree, and it was good, and it was only bad when disobedience came in. Now, here's the takeaway for us. In this world today, in this culture, there are lots of good things that are in our journey, good things that are in our lives, good things, good opportunities, good places, good things that we can do that are good, that they're not intrinsically evil just because they exist, that they're not necessarily bad. But the moment that you begin to put that in place of your connection to, obedience to, and following of God, Instantly, that thing that was once good is now sinful. And that's what we're going to be talking about over these coming days. In the next few weeks, talking about the things that we've allowed to come into our lives and allow the things that that have become such a distraction to us that we lose sight of, that we miss out on what it is exactly that God's perfect plan is for each and every one of us. It reminds me and it points to what 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says these words, For the time has come for judgment. I believe that this year, 2020, 
has been a day of reckoning for our world. I believe it's been a day of reckoning for our country. But make no mistake, I believe it has been a day of reckoning for the church. Look what this verse says. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? In other words, it is time for judgment, and judgment begins in the house of God. Now, let me ask you, where do you sit today? What is this place? Church, Church which is the house of God. We are sitting in the house of God. Now, granted, this is just a building. We also could be meeting over to 7-Eleven. It would still be when the body of Christ comes together, it's the house of God. Judgment begins in the house of God, and it has begun. This is a season of reckoning, a day of reckoning for the church. And we must be faithful. We must be committed. We must be connected to what God's plan is if we are going to see God at work, if we're going to see God do what we have prayed for God to do, and that is to bring about revival. If we are not ready for it, then the world will never see it. And so we're in this time, a time of judgment, a time of, of reckoning, and so that's what we're going to begin this process over these next few weeks of talking about. We're going to be talking about the unknown God. Now, if you've turned to Acts chapter 17, which I encourage you to do, we recognize in this passage a story that, uh, that takes place. Now, in Acts chapter 17, Paul begins the, the chapter. He's in Thessalonica, and he's ministering, and he's doing what he always did. He's preaching the gospel, and he's preaching it to everyone who will hear it. He goes to the synagogue, and he preaches, and he reasons with people to share with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they run him out of town. And he ends up going to Berea, and there in Berea, he's doing what he always does. He goes into the synagogue, and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like what happened in Thessalonica, and like what happened in a lot of places where Paul went. Eventually, people got mad. They got angry because he was challenging their faith. He was challenging, challenging their belief system because he was preaching this new message, this new gospel. And so they began to, to come together to run him out of town. And so they actually had to, to sneak him out of town. He ends up in Athens. And when he arrives in Athens, again, what does Paul do? Well, Paul does what he always does. He goes to the synagogue and he begins preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching a new message, a new gospel. But as he's walking around there in Athens, he begins to see something a little different. Because in Athens, which was a very powerful, a very important city uh, in those days, a city that, uh, that, that uh, people from all around the world would come to, they would want to live there. It was like the New York City, if you will, uh, of that day and that age. And Athens is a very powerful city. And so Paul is walking around Athens that day, and as he's walking around Athens, he sees all of these different idols and all these different gods and all these different things that they worshipped. He found as he walked through that place that there was this one altar that was there. And this altar was an altar that it was listed there, and it didn't have a name there because they just simply said, to the unknown God. In other words, what Paul recognized is that the people there were so caught up with the idea of making sure that they had all of these different gods in their lives, that they had this one altar to an unknown God just so they wouldn't miss out on a God that they needed to worship. And so he recognized that in that society, in that culture, as Acts chapter 17 tells us, there were you know, different groups of people. And there were two different groups of people that came and started challenging him in his faith. There were the Epicureans and the Stoics. 
Epicureans who believe that gods really don't matter that much, that everybody came from the dirt, and, and that when they die, they go right back to the dirt. And, and this idea of having a god in their life, well, it really wasn't that big of a deal, because they just wanted to live, and they just wanted to enjoy their lives, and didn't really want to worry about all this religion stuff. And then the Stoics, who were very connected to gods, and they were pantheists at heart. They believed that there was God everywhere, and in everything there is a God, and they wanted to make sure they were worshiping all of these different gods. And so you had these two different schools of thought that began to challenge Paul, challenge this message that, G, uh, that Paul was preaching about Jesus and, and who he is and, and what he had done. And by the way, exactly what Paul was facing in Athens is what we face in today's culture. Because there are people today who believe that God doesn't matter at all. They may not be atheists, but they just don't really care. They don't believe God is relevant. They don't believe God has anything to offer, whether God exists or whether He doesn't. Who cares? We just want to live our lives and we want to do what we can do while we're alive. Because when we die, we're just going to be in nothingness. So let's just enjoy the moment. And then there are others who see God in everything, and they're constantly running towards and searching for uh, some religious experience, and they're, they're looking at every different avenue and every different place trying to find something of spiritual value to grow in their, in their quote-unquote faith. And so what we had in Athens back 2,000 years ago with the Epicureans and the Stoics, we have today. They're not named that anymore, but it's the same picture. You've got the people who don't care about God, and then you've got the people who apply the idea of God to every different thing, and whatever they desire, and whatever they want, it's still true. And so Paul, as he's walking around, he arrives at this place called the Areopagus. In fact, we've got a picture of it here, if we could. This is standing on what is known as Mars Hill. If you're looking at the King James Version, it's talked, it talks about Mars Hill. Now, that Areopagus is really kind of the, actually the real name is the Mount of Aris. When Aris was the Greek god of war. And the Greek god of war, Aris, was the same person as the Roman god of Mars, which is the god of war. And that's why that is called Mars Hill. And so you look here as we're standing on what would be Mars Hill, looking up to uh, the, the palace there, the temple there, to the god Athena. And you can see that this is where those groups would gather and where they would meet and where the, the, the court would come together to evaluate the different ideas. They looked at Paul as being a babbler. They actually called him that back in Acts chapter 17, that he had all these weird things that he was saying, these things that didn't make sense, and he was trying to make himself sound more important by saying all these things about this unknown God. And so they brought him together in this place, and as he was standing here looking up, there's also other pictures here to kind of give you the picture of what he was looking at, looking out from that mountain, that Mars Hill, looking out over the city of Athens, this powerful city. He was also looking down into what is called the, uh, the, 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 the temple there, the temple of Athena, but also down into the marketplace, the Agora, the next picture will show that all of the people would gather in this place to go and to shop and to buy all their goods. And so he was smack dab in the middle of this very powerful, very important city, kind of like Times Square is where Paul stood there and he began to speak to the people to share with them in a powerful and an important message that I would submit to you today is still just as powerful and just as important and just as relevant for us here. Acts chapter 17, let's begin reading with verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, 
I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of, our own po- some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will, and here's this word again, judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. We see here this idea that Paul speaking to these, uh, these people in Athens, these people who were so confused and so distracted and had all of these gods that they had created in their lives and in their journeys, these gods that they worshipped, and whether it was a, a god of money or a god of power, a god of status, a god of, of fame, a god of stuff, a, a god of family, whatever it was, they created all these different gods that they worshipped. And so here Paul is preaching to them using their own language, using their their own system that they had created, that one altar to that unknown God. He said, listen, that God, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you about Him. Now listen, today we are in exactly the same place. And while we do not have, as we saw a moment ago on that screen, we do not have temples that have been built in our cities We do not have altars and and idols that have been uh, erected in our cities and and places that we go and worship stone or, or, or gold or whatever might be these idols that are standing. We may not have those, but we have idols and gods still the same. They just look differently than they did then. And so Paul begins to preach this message. And he started with the idea clearly of understanding, challenging the Athenians by simply focusing them and saying, listen, you need to refocus your lives on the one true God. Now, I would tell you today that the exact same thing is true of us. We go back to this passage in verse 23, the second part of that verse. He says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, 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 capital H, I proclaim to you. Guys, there are people sitting in the building, this building today, sitting in churches all over the country and all over the world today that need to be reminded that we need to refocus on the one true God because we have been distracted by the things of this world. We have been distracted by the things that are good. We've been distracted by the trees that are sitting in the gardens of our lives just as Adam and Eve were. Things that are not necessarily or intrinsically evil or bad, but because we have elevated them to the point of being a God in our lives, we have made them that which is the thing of worship, the object of worship in our lives. And listen, make no mistake that any time that you get to the place where in your life something is of more importance to you than your faith and God himself, anything that becomes something that you hold of of more value, that you want to do more, talk about more, spend time with more, that thing has now become the object of worship in your life, and that is your God. And Paul, 2,000 years ago, said this, listen, I want to tell you about 
this God, the one true God. Man, we've got to get back to the place where we understand that. We have to recognize that he must be the central figure of our daily lives. We sit back and we, we lament the things that are going on in our culture, the things that are going on in our country, the things that are going on in our world. It breaks our hearts. We are so uh, upset about all of the things that are happening all around the globe, the problems that seem to be so prevalent, so uh, significant in our everyday lives. And yet we must recognize the reason these things are happening is because we have lost sight of that central figure of our faith, the one true God. It's time to refocus. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of those things that we've allowed to creep in to become more important. We're going to talk about things like materialism. We're going to talk about things like status. We're going to talk about things like tribalism, the idea that, that, that we have a system of beliefs and the people that have a different systems of beliefs, that we get to the place where we, we dismiss them, we discount them because they don't think the way that we do. We're going to talk about racism. We're going to talk about issues that are prevalent in our culture, prevalent in our society to make sure that we recognize that the one true God is the one that matters. And so Paul was very clearly telling them, because we've been distracted, we've gotten ourselves into a pretty deep pit. In Athens, they had gotten themselves into a place where they couldn't even function because all they wanted to do is they wanted to talk about all these different gods and all these different ideas and all of these different theologies. And listen, that's exactly where we are today. We spend so much time talking about the things that we should believe in or things that are good or things that are bad and talking about this belief system and that belief system. And we have lost sight of the one fact, the very important fact that God has given to us everything that we need to know through his word. And yet we go through life every day and we leave these Bibles sitting on our shelves and we don't spend time reading them. We've got to refocus on that one true God. And Paul wanted to make that very clear. And he went on to say that we focus on this one God, that God that you call the unknown God. And that God is the creator of all. He's the creator of all. Look what it says in verses 24 and 25. He says this, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Now recognize he's saying this, sitting on that Mars hill, on that, that flat rock, that large rock where the, the, the important people of the community had come, and they're sitting there, and they're listening to his words. They're looking up at a temple that men's hands had built to honor the god Athena. They're looking at all the idols and the gods, the altars that have been built in the marketplace just below them. They're sitting in, in this place where they're looking up to the temples here and the temples there, and yet what he says, what Paul says here is that god, this god does not need a temple that was built by man's hands because he created everything that there is. And through that God, we breathe. Through that God, we live. Our heart beats. Our life is given, not because of temples, not because of anything that man has created, but rather because of who God is. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He was and he is and he will always be that God. And Paul's preaching this message to people that were so distracted and so confused and so overwhelmed with their own theologies and their ideologies that they had created that they could not even grasp what it was that he was saying. Man, today it's the same thing. 
We have become such an intelligent society that it is so difficult to bring ourselves to the simple truth that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth and that that is the God that we must worship. That that God's the creator of everything that there is. He's not dependent on us. It doesn't matter who we are or what we do or what we accomplish. Our God is more powerful than we could ever imagine. There's nothing going on within our lives or in our world that he cannot overcome. And so Paul wanted to make sure that they understood, listen, in all this seeking that you're doing, in all of this running from here to there, trying to, to find meaning and to try to find power and to try to find hope, man, you're wasting your time because it's found in the one who created everything that there is. So Paul said, this, this unknown God that you have an altar to, that God is the creator of all. And you and I were created, Paul said. We were created to seek and to worship him and him alone. Look what it says in verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, has determined their pre-appointed times, the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, verse 27, don't miss this, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of, our, of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. You see, our purpose in life is not to accomplish or to achieve or to obtain, uh, to become powerful, to get more stuff. That is not our purpose. That is not what God has placed us here for. God has placed us here to worship and bring glory to him and him alone. And so Paul is telling these people sitting on that mountainside, guys, you're wasting your time. You're doing all of these things that you think are important, but this is not important. What is important is that you worship the one true God because in him, everything exists. And we are here to seek him and to find him. And then he said, oh, and by the way, the good news is he's never far away. You see, they constantly felt that they had to to, to become something or they had to achieve something in order to find the God that they were trying to worship, that they had to become better, that they had to become wealthier, that even they had to climb the mountainside to get up to the temple that was on top of that high rock, the Acropolis. They thought all of these things had to be done in order to get somewhere near that God. And yet Paul said, oh, no, 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 that God, he's right here right now. You were created to seek and to worship him. Listen, let me tell you today, every person seated in this room, every person watching this program, wherever you might be, we are all created and put on this earth for one reason and one reason only, and that is to seek, to worship, and to glorify the one true God. That's the reason that we're here. If you've ever been at a place in your life where you've asked the question, man, why do I even exist? Why am I here? I just told you. You're here to worship and to glorify God. Now, in that, how do we worship and glorify God? With everything that you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That no matter what we do, we are here to give glory to God. 
If you're successful in business and you make billions of dollars, we've got a lot of billionaires in the world today. Listen, the only way that you can have billions of dollars and still be in the, in the will of God, which you still can, by the way, be in the will of God if you have billions of dollars, is that if you recognize that God has blessed you in that place so that through your success, you worship and glorify God. If you're sitting here today wondering how you're going to make ends meet, let me just tell you, you can be just as effective as the most, the richest man in all the world with billions of dollars. Why? Because we are here to worship and to glorify God. But yet what we've done is we've, we've messed it up. We've confused it. We've twisted it. Because now what we believe is that we're here to worship and glorify self. We believe that we're here to glorify our own journey and, and to lift ourselves up and to let people see what we've accomplished. So Paul's saying, listen, that stuff doesn't matter. He says, we're here, uh, we're created to seek and to worship Him. We're not, <clears throat> excuse me, we're not created to seek and worship everything else. Look what it says in verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, that the God, listen, is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. In other words, the things that you worship are of no value whatsoever. You can't create God by shaping Him, by fashioning Him. They talked about by art, the idea of actually going and, and chiseling away idols that they built, that they put up on the sides there for people to worship. No, no, those things are not God. You cannot imagine, you cannot expect that the divine nature, the one true God is something that you can just build an idol to and that you can go worship. No, because that God is greater and bigger than all of those things. So we've created a system today whereby the things of this world have become the focus of this world. We've made those things our God, just like they did in Athens 2,000 years ago. And yet Paul reminds us here, and he reminded them there, oh no, you see, the things that you've created as gods are not gods at all. There is but one God, and that's the God that we worship. I read this quote this week from Howard Marshall who said this, until the coming of the revelation of God's true nature in Christianity, men lived in ignorance of him. But now the proclamation of that Christian message brings this time to an end so far as those who hear the gospel are concerned. They no longer have any excuse for their ignorance. Think about that. They have no excuse for ignorance. We live in a world today where we are the smartest that we've ever been with greater technology than we ever could have imagined, that today we can carry in our pockets computers that have more knowledge than all of mankind did back in the days that, that we read about today. We are in an incredible time of learning and knowledge and understanding. And here's the thing that is critical to understand, and we've never been more ignorant because we've lost sight that God is what matters. Today, in verse 30, we read these words. Truly the times of ignorance that God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Remember how we started with 1 Peter chapter 4? That there's time of judgment and judgment begins in the house of God. Let me make this clear. We are there. It is the time of judgment. 
And we, you and I, will be judged based on what we do with what we have been told. We do not have the excuse of ignorance. We do not have the luxury of saying, I didn't know. We don't have the opportunity of saying, well, I I got confused. Today, you know. You've heard it today. You've heard it many times. You see it when you walk outside and even look up into the sky or look out to the mountains. There is a creator God. There is one God who created everything that there is, and that God loves you and that God loves me. And that God loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus to come to this earth, to die on the cross for our sins, to rise again three days later so that we could have life by believing in him. We do not have the right to say we didn't know. Today, it is time for us, as it was 2,000 years ago for the people of Athens, to get our eyes off of the gods that we've created and focus on the one true God, the God of heaven. And today, if you've not done that, this is the moment, this is the time, because time is short. Let's pray together. Father, today we repent. We repent of our desire for things. God, we repent of, Lord, a time in our churches even when we get so focused and distracted by the things that are out there that we have lost sight of who you are. And God, we just say together, corporately, together today, we say we're sorry. God, we've messed up. We've blown it. We've gotten so distracted by things that we've forgotten that there are people who are just outside of this church who are, who are lost and who are dying and who, if they die without Jesus, will spend eternity in a very real place called hell. And we must tell them about Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to, Lord, to focus again, commit again, get excited again about that message. God, today, Lord, we just pray that you would give us the opportunity, the ability, Lord, to see who you are, to recognize that we're here to worship you and you alone. And God, right now, if there's someone here that, Lord, that they don't really understand, they don't get it, this idea that there's but one God and that one God loves us and he gave his son Jesus, and that Jesus died, was buried and rose again. And by believing in him that we have salvation. God, if they've never done that, I pray right now that that's what they would do. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching, whatever it might be, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've heard the gospel today. You've heard it proclaimed by Paul in Acts chapter 17. And you've heard it said, underscored by me in the words that I've shared. God loves you. Christ died for you. He was buried. He rose again for you. And only if you believe in him will you find the salvation that you need. So if you've not done that, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I believe today that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that he died. I believe he rose again. I believe that he is your son. And so today, forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're sitting here in the room, I encourage you in a few moments, I want you to walk down here. and Our team is going to be gathered just over here to my left, your right. I encourage you to come down and to talk with them about what you've just done. 
If you're watching or listening, I pray that you would be uh, diligent enough to take that next step and to reach out to us here at Thomas Road. You can go to our website at trbc.org start. And there you can find information about what it means to follow Christ. Listen, it is real and it is important and time is short. It has to happen now. Because while we live in a world where we have made gods out of everything, there is but one, one true God. And oh, how great he is. And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.